Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. A house is made of solid stuff, any combo of brick and mortar, wood and siding, metal and glass and concrete. But when it comes to ownership, a home is built on paper, namely on its title, a document that identifies who has legal rights to the property. When a homeowner dies, their estate plan determines what happens to that title, unless there is no estate plan. Then things get very tricky, creating a situation attorneys call a tangled title. It's a situation that can have big effects on the family or loved ones of a deceased homeowner. This tangle has complicated the lives of many St. Louis residents, especially those whose relatives owned houses in black neighborhoods. That's one of the conclusions reached in a recent investigation by Nick Phillips, senior editor at St. Louis Magazine. His latest story, published last week, seeks to disentangle the story around home titles. And he's here to talk with us about it. Nick, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thanks, Elaine. Your latest piece in St. Louis Magazine is the whole title, How Tangled Titles Freeze Wealth in Black Neighborhoods and probably elsewhere in St. Louis too. Nick, give us the basics. Um, What is a tangled title and what is it exactly that's getting tangled up? Right. Well, a tangled title is a situation that occurs when a home... You actually gave a great introduction, Elaine. (laughs) A tangled title is a situation that occurs when a homeowner dies and they don't document who they want to own the property after they're gone. They don't set up a, um, a trust, they don't sign a will, or they don't record a beneficiary deed. So what happens when they die is the title or ownership to that property, it fra- instantly fractures among spouses, children. It's a, there's a whole hierarchy or order of operations that's laid out in state statute. Mm-hmm. And the f- surviving family, then, um, they... Their their freedoms of doing things with that property are restricted. Um, It actually becomes what's known as dead capital. It's an asset that can't be sold, rented out, or bought um, if the family wants to seek public public financial assistance for home repair. They can't do Mm -hmm. that because the title's not in their name. Uh, They can't modify a mortgage if there's a mortgage because the title's not in their name. and um, so things, so that is it, your your freedom of action is very limited. Okay, and this is uh, the the official term is that the homeowner dies intestate. Yes. Okay. So then it's without leaving any estate plan. Right. So then, when you said that um, there's no one who's assigned to sort of take over this property, are you talking about an official document that's been notarized, that kind of thing, or? Right. So there needs to be some official uh, documentation that has been witnessed by someone else or... Right, exactly. Okay. um, And Rachel can speak more to this because she's the attorney that works on on that side of things. But um, it can be as simple as a beneficiary deed, which is a piece of paper that, um, yeah, like you said, it gets Mm -hmm. notarized and then it gets recorded at the Recorder of Deeds office. And um, that takes uh, a lawyer who knows what they're doing maybe an hour. And that, that, that solves, that prevents a huge problem down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Now, your recent story begins with a case of a tangled title, and you introduce us to a woman named Nairi Foster and a vacant brick home on Union Boulevard with no lights on. The home had been part of her family for decades. Last week, uh, Nairi spoke with our producer, Danny Wisentowski, and explained how her grandparents had struggled to purchase that home. I know that area, when they moved into that area, they were probably one of the first African-American families on that block. And so it's just a lot of history and a lot of connection for me. We moved in that house um, when I was in the sixth grade. And at that time, it was still in my grandmother's name. Um, I don't know if my father ever had intentions on getting it switched into his name, but he died before we were able to do that. And then my mom died. And so at that point, I was the only living um, relative, but it was still in my grandmother's name. Nick, what is it that happened next with Nairi? Well, she, I think people contacted her. They wanted to buy the property. And she realized that she couldn't sell it because it was the title was in her granny's name. Right. So she, she found her way to legal services of Eastern Missouri. These are lawyers who, at a nonprofit who work on this pro bono. Well, not pro bono. I mean, they, they work on it for free. They'll help mm-hmm. families with this problem for free. And uh, my understanding is that she was able to get that title um, transferred into her name. Eventually. Yeah. Right. It took a while, but mm-hmm. I think she, yeah, she succeeded. We'll definitely be picking up on that story. Now, getting some legal perspective, as you've mentioned, um, that would be really helpful to illuminate a few really important points. So we have another voice to bring into this conversation. Rachel Waterman is an attorney with Legal Services of Eastern Missouri, which works with clients like Nairi who find themselves with tangled titles. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Now, there is no dispute that Nairi's parents originally owned the house on Union. Why is resolving the sort of situation Nairi was facing so complicated? And what makes it so hard to untangle a title like this? There's a lot of reasons that this issue is complicated. One is that a lot of people don't know it's an issue. So Nairi probably thought that that was her house. You know, she considered it her house, even though it belonged to Granny, and maybe Granny's name was on the bills or the property tax bills she's getting from the city. Mm-hmm. She still thought, this is my house. You know, it's our family home. They don't know, a lot of folks don't know that it's important to have your name on your house. So there's two different concepts, like a deed and a title. Title is a kind of more abstract concept, and the deed is the actual document. So she might have had, in some sense, title to the house by operation of law, because when her granny passed and then the rest of her family passed away, based on the intestacy statute of Missouri, some interest or legal title would have passed to her, but there was no document like a deed that actually had her name on the house. So the complicated part is creating that paper trail, that legal paper trail that attests that you do own this property. Your legal title is now reflected in the property record. Mm -hmm. And that takes knowledge of the intestacy statutes of Missouri and knowledge of how to draft those documents properly. So, I mean, beyond these legal frustrations, and it clearly sounds like there are plenty of those, what is the larger impact of these tangled titles for people sort of in the, the everyday The everyday experience of not having your name on your house is really frustrating. You can't access any of the services or just 
normal things that a homeowner can access. You can't borrow against your home. You can't get property tax assistance, mortgage assistance, home repair assistance. This proper this problem disproportionately affects low-income folks who don't have access to an attorney. So a lot of times people come to us when they go to apply for home repair, which is also a service that is aimed at low-income folks. And then when they go to apply for that home repair, the folks there tell them, hey, your name's not on the house, and they refer them to us. Mm-hmm. So you can't access the things that you would think of accessing as a homeowner. Right. N- Nick, for you, what is the larger impact uh, of tangled titles and sort of the, uh, the all of the, the complications that come with it? Well, I think probably in the worst case, you've got uh, vacant properties. Uh, if you've got too many people with very small pieces of ownership in a property, nobody really owns it. And mm-hmm. so, uh, because everyone does in the right, family. Right. And so it kind of gets, it can get neglected and turn into a vacant property. And when that happens, you know, that a, a vacant property can catalyze, catalyze crime. It can do, you know, create fire hazards and, and, um, sometimes the property tax doesn't get paid. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, so those are all problems that result from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you argued that tangled titles you know, seem to be hitting black homeowners the hardest. Um, and in your piece, you wrote that it blocks the transfer of intergenerational wealth and leads to vacancy, which you've just talked about, and that it's exacerbated the racial um, home ownership gap. Talk up to us a little bit about that connection. Yeah, well, I want to be clear about that. Philadelphia is dealing with this in a big way. The Pew Charitable Trust did a study in Philadelphia, and they found 10,000 of these things. Actually, I think it was 10,400. And they were concentrated in um, African-American neighborhoods and I think low-income neighborhoods. And so I, it's really hard to find these things for reasons that we may or may not want to get into, but um, I started looking um, in a uh, predominantly black neighborhoods and municipalities and just to see if, whether they were there. And um, I did find them, but they might be all over the place. And in fact, Rachel was the one who told me, I mean, there might be thousands of things, th- thousands of these things mm-hmm. in the region. Um, it's just that they're very, very hard to, to identify and yeah. quantify. Um, but there's, there's just also just something particularly sad about families that came up to St. Louis during the Great Migration. And they bought, they acquired these homes at a time when there was redlining and discriminatory home lending practices, right? And um, if, to, to see these homes, um, uh, you know, leave the family and that wealth not be built on is just particularly sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this story that you've written, you know, you tried to quantify the problem and you've talked about some of the steps that you've taken. And you managed to get a, a kind of snapshot yeah. of the number of tangled tiles in St. Louis, the official ones. Now, Getting that together required a pretty involved process. Nick, tell us about that search. You know, how did you do it, and what was it that you found? Yeah, well, to to boil it down, what you're trying to do is find an overlap between all the people that own property and people who are deceased. That sounds simple, but it's not. The reason it's not is that the death records in the state of Missouri mm-hmm. are kept in a way that hides where the person lived. Mm-hmm. So when I so if if a Kevin Smith, um, you know, who died in uh, January January first of uh, 2014, he might not be this Kevin Smith that owns property in the city of St. Louis. So it's so I had to enter. <laughs> so I got a bunch of false matches, or you know, a bunch of um, uh, 
properties that seem to overlap with mm-hmm. uh, deceased people. And then I had to ch- I had to insert each one, one by one, into Ancestry.com, which is available at St. Louis Public Library. And uh, through that, I was able to, d- to find um, in the, I think it was a handful of uh, neighborhoods and municipalities, I mm-hmm. found 100 of these things. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I think there's quite a few more. That's surely an undercount. And right, I say right. that because I only had the resources to check properties owned by one person. Mm-hmm. I did not check resources on, or sorry, properties owned by two or more people because that would be twice as much work and I'm, I'm only one person. Right, right. Yeah. How many hours do you think it took for you to do what you were just talking about, you by yourself? I would call the number of hours obscene. I don't remember <laughs> exactly what it was, but it okay. was it was a lot of time. Right. And then the actual or officially known number of Tangled Titles in St. Louis is, what is that figure? Uh, all told? Yeah. Again, I don't. we don't know. That's that's the big problem is that I've, I found 100, but again, there, there were okay. probably thousands. That was the one that there I was were, looking for, 100. Yeah, 10,000 in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think it would take to get that full number? I think it would take a willingness on the part of City Hall and the county government to take those two data sets, deceased people and property owners, and see where they overlap and see how many titles are tangled and mm-hmm. how long they've been tangled. Yeah. We're talking about tangled titles and how a lack of estate planning is leaving some St. Louis homeowners in a legal limbo situation. To explain how these titles got tangled, uh, we're talking with Nick Phillips, senior editor at St. Louis Magazine, and with attorney Rachel Waterman of the Legal Services of Eastern Missouri. Now, um, Rachel, Legal Services of Eastern Missouri, it does help folks with tangled titles, but your organization is a small one. How many cases can LSM practically handle? That's a really good question. And I was thinking about it as Nick was talking because it's really difficult to quantify how many tangled titles there might be in the region. But we do know for sure that the number of tangled titles is much larger than we actually have the capacity to fix or respond to. So here at Legal Services, we handle about 100 cases a year at full capacity. Um, that, that would be a good year for us. And only a fraction of those are actually untangling tangled titles. So mm. one bucket of cases is basic, simple estate planning to help people make a plan before they pass away and prevent their title from tangling when they're gone, which mm-hmm. is great and really important. And then another bucket is untangling tangled titles. Mm-hmm. So about 100 cases is our capacity And these are all folks who qualify for our services, so people who are income eligible who have this problem. Mm -hmm. So thousands is what we're we're looking at potentially. Rachel, how do most people find their way to um, LSM for assistance with Tangled Title specifically? We have a lot of great referral relationships throughout the region. I think folks know at this point that we do this work. So when it comes up, they know to call us. One of the main sources of referrals is the county and the city recorder of deeds office. So Mm -hmm. people will come in to record a document or get a recorded deed for their property. And that's the point where they'll realize their name's not on their house. And the recorder of deeds offices in both the city and the county now know to refer people to us for that problem. Home repair providers are also a big referral source. Any sort of agency that serves elderly people. Mm. There's a property tax assistance fund in the city. So when folks are facing foreclosure for not paying their property taxes, 
occasionally that's also because their name's not on their house and that agency will refer to us. Mm -hmm. And how often do you have people coming to you because there has been some um, complaint or citations regarding properties that have not been cared for? That happens as well. So um, usually it's because something sort of catastrophic has happened at the property. So a lot of people are living in homes that aren't in their name and they're keeping them up. They're doing their best to Mm -hmm. keep them up with the resources that they have. But if there's a fire or a weather event or something that needs major repair, they'll start getting cited for that and they won't be able to fix it up because their name is not on the house. Mm -hmm. Now, we heard earlier from Nairi Foster. She struggled with a tangled title until she came to Legal Services of Eastern Missouri. That's something that, Nick, you had alluded to earlier. Nairi told our producer that she hopes her story can inspire people to avoid her situation. The solution, she says, is estate planning. To start with, it needs to just be a conversation. I think we are so afraid or it's just uncomfortable to have these conversations about when people are no longer here and what can potentially um, happen to whatever property or other things that people may own or value. And so we need to start with just a conversation And then from there, we need to figure out who we would like things to go to, and we need to basically write that information down, and then it needs to be documented, you know, with with the attorney in a will and whatever means we need to do to make sure that that is taken care of if something was to happen, because it leaves people in such a despairing situation. It just is such, it stops everything if you don't have those things just in place. And I think that we just need to really think about that and think about how that affects everybody overall if we're not able to get those things taken care of. So Nairi there mentions how uncomfortable or difficult it can be to talk about estate planning. Now, I can certainly understand how broaching that topic might open not just one, but possibly multiple cans of worms. Yet it's clearly necessary. And a, and it struck me as a, a sort of knowledge transfer that is its own kind of intergenerational wealth. And Nick, what advice do you have for people who are facing that difficult task, sort of based on the, the people that you have talked with for this story? They, the people I've talked with for this story all regret not having these conversations earlier because it really does solve so many problems down the line. And they're very, very hard conversations. Nobody wants to talk about dying right, and what right. happens after they, they're gone. But you have to. It really is, I mean, yeah. Th- th- so I, that advice also, if you um, try to find an attorney who can do this, if you can't afford one, uh, Rachel said they're already at capacity, but Maybe, oh, you know, another thing is uh, there are certain law firms that do help with this pro bono. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Brian K. Blayton Paisner, I think, does. Stinson has done some clinics. So uh, just find an attorney yeah. to get the paperwork in order. Um, yeah, that's my. that would be my advice. Mm-hmm. Rachel, how about you? What advice would you offer? I would echo exactly what Nairi and Nick both said. Work with an attorney to get your plans in place before you're gone. It's the most effective way to prevent this from happening. And I know people don't like to think about death or plan ahead for it. They might not like talking about it with their family, even less with an attorney. Mm -hmm. 
But one common mistake we see is that folks think that because they talked about it with their family, that was enough, or even if they wrote it on a piece of paper and signed it, that's enough. You really need an attorney to help you make sure that your plan is legally enforceable. Mm-hmm. It's so sad to see a client, potential client, client come in and say, well, mom wrote it on this paper and she signed it. And we say, that doesn't hold up. That doesn't do anything for the house. You're still in an intestate succession situation mm-hmm. where it's basically as if the owner died without an estate plan. Well, definitely sounds like uh, estate planning is the thing that people uh, really need to look at. And that's one of the reasons I chose the story is that is that uh, estate planning is a solution. And I have this newsletter we just put out, called, uh, Solutions Newsletter, St. Louis Magazine, that um, that gets into both problems and solutions. Mm-hmm. And so that's estate planning is definitely qualifies as, as something that could help with this problem. Nick Phillips is senior editor at St. Louis Magazine, and Rachel Waterman is an attorney with Legal Services of Eastern Missouri. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. With audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.